All right, just go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us about your uh, dog life journey. All right, my name is Lex Pondo. I was born and raised here in the West Texas area. Um, grew up in the Kermit, Texas area, and I live in Lubbock, Texas now. And I own and, and I'm starting to breed and uh, hunt with Airedale Terriers. I, just like any other dogman, dogs have been just such a huge part of my life from as far back as I can remember. Even from the time I could read, my head was always in some kind of dog book. You know, like all the all the popular ones, like Old Yeller, Where the Red Fern Grows, things like that. And then um, when I was around, I think I was around eight or nine, my grandma got me that big dog encyclopedia. Yeah. And that just ruined me. (laughs) Just any free time I had, it was just head buried in that book. But what I started with was even before me, my dad, his whole life grew up with German Shepherds. Mm -hmm. And just being young and hearing the stories and the experiences he's had with German Shepherds. And he had had some really good, real working ones. And um, I was just, man, it, it inspired me. So as... As soon as as I was able to take care of dogs on my own, I got my own uh, German Shepherds, and that that was my breed of choice right from the get go. Because on, I mean, honestly, a good, well bred German Shepherd is man, it's hard to beat. Right. It's hard to beat as a, as a family dog and a home protection dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I started young, I always had this vision of uh, I always had this vision of creating my own line mm-hmm. of dogs. I, I, at the time, I was thinking, you know, growing up, I was thinking it was going to be the German Shepherd. So by the time I was like fourteen. I already had a really good pair. I had a good female and a good male. And uh, I guess by 14, 15, I'd already produced uh, a couple litters that, you know, turned one of them turned out really good. And the other ones, it was just kind of hit and miss, you know. Right. And uh, so, so, but first and foremost, I'm an outdoorsman and an avid hunter. So uh, the German Shepherd really, I guess they could be trained to be uh, to be a, a hunting companion. But typically, that's not what they're what they're meant for. And then I just started running into you know a lot of nervousness. And my my, uh, my vision for breeding German Shepherds just kind of came off the rail. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess by the time I was in my late teens, my last the last litter that we produced, we kept two males from that litter, and uh, they were beautiful. Their conformation was was perfect. They were big. They were silver and black. Just everything that I, I was kind of working for, and they ended up being, I mean. A Chihuahua probably could have been a better guardian than, than those dogs, and right. so I kind of lost passion for that. And, and I always had in the back of my head that I wanted to uh, have a good working dog. So back going back to that dog encyclopedia. Before that, I thought there was probably ten breeds in the world, and then I kind of got involved. I, I the hunting dog section. I was looking at all these different breeds, and I came up on the Airedale Terrier. And to me, my like my mind was almost blown. I was like, man, so this is a terrier. But we're looking at a dog that's, you know, from 45 to 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm, and uh, the black and tan color, the coat, everything was just really appealing to me. So this was probably 10 years old. So from 10 all the way through my teens and late teens, I always, I just had this, uh, I, I, I had, like, I just was really interested in the breed. But um, being in Kermit, Texas, it's a town of 5,000 people. And then at that time, there was no, like, I just there was no way for me to even get a hold of someone who bred. And, um, so I just kind of, I always had the Airedale in the back of my head. So then when I was 17, I was working for my dad. It's a, uh, barbed wire fence building company. Mm-hmm. We were working on a ranch and, uh, the rancher at his house, he had a, he had some Airedale terriers 
So uh, I remember when I saw him, it was just it solidified in my head. I'm like, I was it was a young, it was a small female that he had, and everything about her was just man. I, I just fell in love right then and there, and that's when I knew I was like, you know what, the the German Shepherd thing is kind of like falling, kind of like I'm losing a little passion for it, mm-hmm. and the Airedales is, was the route I wanted to go down. So I talked to him, and so not only were these you know beautiful dogs, but he's also a rancher there on a remote West Texas uh, ranch. So, and he talked about using them on pigs, using them on birds, just about just a hunting companion all around, and that sold it for me. Mm-hmm. But being, already being involved in, like, the, the dog world, even even at that young age, I just, I resisted the urge to uh, get one from the first breeder that I, that I came in contact with. So, I did my research for years, years. I just researched everything. I got on all the Airedale forums. I read everything, and I found... Just through Google, I found a lot of breeders. So I would call, pretending to know nothing, even though I was really researched on the breed, just to see what they'd say and just to hear them talk about their dogs. And like I said, I resisted the urge to get one from the from the first place I that I came across. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah. So I I kept doing research, and I can't. I and I found that the Airedale breed varies a lot in size and and uh, purpose they're all pretty much the same dogs but some are more geared towards being a harder dog and a bigger dog and a leggier dog and then there's some that are smaller and uh, used for more of a of a ground type right. i mean more of a draw dog type thing mm-hmm. so i had it in my head i said i had it in my head that i wanted a dog that was going to be you know a bigger leggier and harder airedale because here in my area of texas it's it's mostly flat mm-hmm. we're right where the desert meets the plains right so everything here runs fast, and everything here is pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, the dog's going to get to it before you do, right. especially with these pigs. And um, so, but I just, I had no luck in finding there and finding one that I was uh, that I was ready to pull the trigger on. I went and saw some. I I was around some. I saw. I, I visited some breeders in my area, and I just, you know, I just passed, and I just bided my time. And uh, in the meantime, I tried to hold a bunch of different breeds and hunted with some different breeds. And so finally, in 2016, I uh, went and visited this. I got in contact with this woman that she'd been breeding the Airedales, I think, for 20 plus years. And uh, her Airedale seemed to fit the bill perfectly, exactly what I was looking for. I went and looked at the dogs, and she sent me pictures and um, of them working. And uh, they just they seemed to be. I, I, at that point, I was like, this is as good as I'm going to find. And uh, then after I get the pup, it's up to me, you know, right. to, to train, to bring him up the right way. And so I got a mail from her, and, uh, and man, that's where it all started. He ended up being absolutely everything that I wanted. And, yeah, and so from there, I planned on getting more from her, but three or four months after I got the, the pup from her, she passed away. Oh, wow. And... Uh, her i guess her uh, her kennel kind of got sold out i know her brother started taking up taking over uh, breeding some of the dogs but i don't think they're being tested or or worked in any way right. i think it's more geared towards a pet home right so then i just just kept an eye out for uh, another airedale and one that kind of that would kind of match what my male had become and i uh, came in contact with a hardcore hog hunter that was breeding airedales and um, he had all the working pics and videos. I was happy. I was happy with that, and ended up getting a female from him. And uh, man, it's just grown from there, and she's been great too. So that's kind of how I 
that that's where I'm at now. I just been training and testing these dogs as hard as I can, and man, they are they're doing great. And what do you like about uh, the Airedale compared to some of your uh, your other experiences? Yeah, so I got I got big into American Bulldogs there because they had a lot of drive. They have that confidence, and uh, they, uh, they I like everything about them. And then I'd also looked at different, different of a lot of different other versatile breeds like the wire hair pointer, the German pointer, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And I just found that. So I, I, as much of a hunter as I am, I'm not so much of a bird hunter. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went more towards something that was going to be more versatile for fur and hogs. And um, it's just when it comes to versatile breeds, it, to me, it's always been the Airedale. And that's they've always been the dog I wanted to be involved with, and so that's kind of how I I picked them. And they make, besides their working qualities, they make an excellent pet around the house. Anybody who has Airedales will tell you will talk to you about the off switch that they have. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the field, they're just tearing up the woods or tearing up anywhere that you take them. They're they're really really driven dogs. They're really smart and they're really hard. But when you take them home, you you know what I mean. They're just they're great family pets. Right. Here's a two-part question. Um, uh, so, do you can you uh, explain kind of the AKC standard, and um, then the standard that you're looking for in your kennel, as far as confirmation, you know, height, weight, and and, mm-hmm. and and look and all that. Okay, so uh, the AKC standard for the Airedale is the males weighing from 45 to 60 pounds mm-hmm. and fe- of course uh, female slightly less and at the shoulder they're 22 to 24 inches at the shoulder and um, which as far as like size and confirmation as long as they're not too small it doesn't bother me too much but my dogs are, are pretty far from the standard my female she's uh, right at 24 at the shoulder mm-hmm. and uh, between 55 and 60 pounds and my male is actually much larger. He's 27 inches at the shoulder, and he's anywhere from 84 to 90 pounds, depending on what kind of shape he's in. So he's he's a he's a big dog, and but I've had no problems with him. He's he's quick and agile, and he's not slow like a lot of these uh, oversized bred Airedales. He's just he, he's all worker. Mm-hmm. But with that size, the advantage that comes with size and, and legginess and height. Is they can cover distance quicker, especially in my area where mm-hmm. it's flatter, mm-hmm. and uh, they have the they have the strength and the weight to to hold the pig, right? And that's and that's something that I that, that's ideal for me. So I'm going to be breeding towards more of the more of a larger, leggier type Airedale, mm-hmm. and also breeding more towards a harder Airedale that's gonna it's gonna stick with a pig or 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 if it catches something on the ground, it'll it'll get the job done even a lot of times before you even get there, right? Mm-hmm. So, Airedales were the the breed was originally uh, developed in the 1850s in, in England, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Yorkshire, there along the Air River. Mm-hmm. So, uh, otter hunters back in those days that they had uh, an assorted, you know, uh, uh, hounds with a lot of different uh, types of hound in them, but predominantly it was the otter hound that they had. With uh, because of their abilities in water and the and the the nose that they had on them, and they were harder, a little bit harder of a hound. And so they had these hounds, and also they were working with the uh, smaller 
black and tan terrier, mm-hmm. which is extinct now. But back then, so they back then they would pair the the hounds and terriers together to hunt otter and water rats and things like that along the Air River. And uh, so slowly they started crossing these terriers and hounds, and I guess over the course of the next twenty years they uh, they developed with the Airedale. They developed the first Airedales. And um, so along with the terrier and hound crosses, they added in. It, it's kind of a, nobody really knows because it, it was so long ago and it's all by hearsay. There's not really any recorded readings of, of different outcrossings they did. Mm-hmm. But basically the Airedale in its, uh, in its heritage, it has it's mostly terrier and hound, but they had an influx of uh, bull terrier blood. Mm-hmm. To give them a little heart, give them a little bit more drive, make them a little harder. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people, some people will tell you that some uh, sight hound and some bird, some pointer was crossed in there at some point. Mm-hmm. And I've even heard collie was crossed in there at some point too. But basically, with with, with your Airedale, the original Airedales were otter hound, black and tan terrier, with smaller percentages of bull terrier and things like that. Right. <clears throat> and um. The first imports of Airedale Terriers here in the U.S. I think happened around the 1890s, and once they got here to America, they really uh, they really took off as a as a hunting dog breed with a different variety of game that we have here in the states. Mm-hmm. And um, and and uh, over the course of the uh, over the course of the years, they they uh, really specialized in a lot of different tasks, and, that, and that's a good thing about the Air, about the Airedale. They were, they are kind of a jack of all trades breed. So they're a versatile hunting dog, but they were also used in World War One to deliver messages across enemy lines. And there's a lot of uh, good examples of dogs that had saved a lot of people. They worked with Red Cross, finding wounded soldiers on the battlefield. And, and um, there's an example of a really good Airedale named Jack that he crossed enemy lines through gunfire and made it to the made it to the. Uh, to the other soldiers with the message he came with a mangled leg a broken jaw shot full of holes and he, he completed his task delivered the message and uh, dropped dead right after that wow. so it just kind of kind of speaks to the uh, to the to the drive of of these dogs right absolutely <clears throat> and could you talk about some of the the modern jobs that these dogs have today and and uh what part of the world are using them the most yeah so as far as Airedales as a working dog breed, especially as a hunting dog, they're predominantly used here in the States. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people from uh, from the UK, and I mean, they'll tell you, they said it's rare to even see an Airedale as a pet over here, much less a working dog. They, uh, As far as a hunting and working dog in the place where they were actually developed, they're almost non-existent. Wow. Um, there's a, so because of that off switch that we were talking about and their, uh, their good qualities as a family pet, uh-huh. And their coat, they're they're non-shedding, they're non-to very little shedding type dog. Um, they were more bred and geared towards becoming a family dog and just a companion pet here in the states. And mm-hmm. Airedales as a hunting breed it had gone way down in the last few decades, but they're still they're still uh, used by people spread out through the U.S. Um, as hunting dogs, and they excel pretty much at whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even back before the German Shepherd was. Uh, became the dog of choice for law enforcement um the airedales were actually used in law enforcement too because of the good nose they had and, and uh their their want to um their want to ple- their intelligence kind of keep mm-hmm. helps them to uh 
to ex, um, excel and think in uh, canine units type type stuff. Right. Not so much now these days, but um, they're just pretty much a dog that'll excel at anything that they're trained properly for. Mm-hmm. Who would you say uh, some of your mentors are in the uh, Airedale game today? So whenever I first started doing research, the names popped up. There's a there's a man out in northern Arizona, I think, northwest Arizona, and uh, his name's Matt Tom, and he's been breeding Airedales for for many years. And there's an Air, there's an Airedale board called the called Traditional Working Airedales, and a lot of the OG type Airedale breeders and workers are on there. And I just kind of in my research just kind of read on the things that read on their experiences and the things that they've done with their dogs and their uh, their standards for breeding the dogs and experiences and things things like that mm-hmm. I, I haven't really had too much of a hands-on mentor i've just kind of went at it myself and learned as much as i could about the breed but there's there's several good there's several um, breeders and, and workers of the airedale here in the states that have been doing it for many many years and learning from them is it's been uh it's been crucial for for my vision of of how my line of Airedales, um, how I want them to be. Right. All right, so uh, originally an Airedale was developed to be a dog with, with some leg in it and some speed mm-hmm. to either retrieve shot game for the hunters mm-hmm. or to, uh, if they catch it themselves, to be able to, to be hard enough and and uh, gritty enough to dispatch whatever they get a hold of that and, uh, and then retrieve it to you that way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me... I'm not hunting otters and rats along rivers over here. It's predominantly I'm hunting furred game. Um, I have a, there's a lot of farms and, and places that I have permission to hunt. And a lot, a lot of times I'll let them know that I, I do deep, uh, that we do predator hunting and, and stuff like that. And um, that that's how I get permission on, on some of these spots, elimination of coyotes and foxes and stuff like that. And there's also some golf courses around my area. That they let me go in and, and clear out the, some of the coons and possums that start, you know, tearing things up around the, around the place. Mm-hmm. So for me, predominantly, I'm hunting furred game and pigs. Mm-hmm. So the type of air though I want, I want it to be a little bigger. I mean, a, 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 anyone will tell you a big boar coon could really put a hurting on a dog and cut them up pretty good. Yep. So for me, a, a, a bigger Airedale with some grit is going to be, be able to take them coon hunting every night. And same thing with pigs. So it, uh, the type of Airedales that I'm wanting to start breeding could be classified in the, in the hog dog world as hold, uh, finders and holders. Okay. So they'll, they'll work as your strike dogs. You can, you cast them out and they'll find, they'll, they'll follow a hot scent really good and they'll track a cold scent to, uh, you know, to a, to a lesser degree. Mine will anyway. And, uh, so they'll find the pig, but also hold them and, uh, work as a, as a type of a catch dog mm-hmm. and um so what i'm breeding for is more of that you know breed them a little harder and a little grittier because uh, some of these pigs as you know they're they're really they, they get big and they're they're mean <laughs> so you'd want a dog that that can shut them down fairly quick and and have the have the grittiness and stamina to keep them held down until i get there and um so man it's been lately it's been mainly hog hunting has been my focus with these dogs because I don't have to have the the curs and hounds, and then catch dogs on top of that. These Airedales, if if they're bred right, and the way I want to, my vision for them is going to be 
that they can do it all mm-hmm. in, in as far as hog dogs. And, so that's kind of what I'm breeding more towards. Right. And a lot of people like don't realize that these are these pigs. They're big and they seem big and lumbering, but they're also they have a lot of speed to them. Yeah. So speed and stamina and weight is pretty essential because they can run the pigs down keep them pinned down and held until you get there and sometimes it you know sometimes it's a while that they're going to be caught on that pig before you before you find them so that's more word that's that's about where i'm breeding towards right. a dog dog that can do that mm-hmm. and my male he's he already fits the bill there's things that could be improved on he's I, I wish he was a little rangier but that was just from inexperience on my part i kind of you know being around these german shepherds all my life i kind of train them to be to stay within you know eyesight of me so i kind of brought that my male up like that but slowly he's starting to to cast out and be a lot a lot more of a long range type dog and i think it if i keep breeding towards towards that and and, uh, breed with females that are you know inclined more towards being a hog hunter um i think i'll i I think it'll take me a few generations but i think i can start producing some dogs that, that fit the bill perfectly so that that's one of the things that I wasn't anticipating whenever I got the Airedale, but is their ability. So w- when we talk about a hard dog, we talk about a dog that's that's hard hunting, mm-hmm. but also a hardy dog with few health problems and are able to withstand um, any type of climate. Mm-hmm. So here in West Texas, the weather changes pretty pretty dramatically from month to month. So we could have in, during the summer, it's not uncommon to have days that are in the you know triple digits you know 100 100 to 110 degrees and they do fine just like any dog they'll overheat and uh but what surprised me is even with their with the heavier coat that they have i mean of course you keep them trimmed down you keep them groomed down but it, it's they don't they don't overheat the way uh some of the, my bulldogs have ha- have in the past and yeah. the way um the way a german even a german shepherd will overheat a little quicker than what these air dogs do it's it's it almost doesn't make sense, but they can just keep running even in hot weather, and these dogs do not get cold. It's it's the it's it's so it's such a it's such a plus to have a dog that you know is just they can be outdoors in in any kind of a weather. Yeah. Just this last uh, this last last year's hunting season, we we're out hunting coons, and even I was just freezing. It was I think the, it was it was about twenty twenty two degrees. Mm-hmm. And we were hunting coons along the river, and these dogs were panning, and they got in the river to cool off. And uh, <laughs> after about an hour, they had icicles running down their beards, and they were still panting, still looking for coons. The the cold almost doesn't seem to have any effect on them at all. Yeah. Oh. Um, how are they with, like, say, uh, uh, smaller pets like cats or, or uh, other dogs? Do they? Um. So a lot of the areas that I hunt, there's a there's a giant feral cat population so um they kind of uh sometimes we, if we they'll tree a cat or they'll catch a cat on the ground and yeah. so i wouldn't trust them with cats but i've never the the beautiful thing about this breed too is you know growing up with german shepherds and, and having having the i've had a pit bull i've had the bulldogs and a dog fight is always in the back of your head yeah. like you're uh, I've, you know you kind of i kind of with the with all these different breeds there's always that possibility of like man you never know mm-hmm. but with the air with, with these dogs that i've had i've had very very few instances of uh of dog aggression and it's been good with small dogs it's it's their aggression's non-existent they 
I've, I've taken them around, you know, different family dogs and, you know, any small dog that just comes up onto our property and, every, and anything, uh, they just, you know, they pretty much ignore them. They'll sniff them a couple times and then it's, they're, my dogs are geared towards one thing and that's hunting and that's mm -hmm. all they care about. Mm -hmm. I had a, I went on a pheasant hunt last year and the landowner that I went with, he brought his dog along and it was just some, you know, some boxer shepherd type mixed dog. He's a, he's a big male. And, um, so the whole time my big dog, he's, uh, he was focused on, you know, finding pheasants and flushing and that dog was focused on him. And eventually he got the fight out of him and it didn't go too well for the other dog. But that's, that's really the only, that's really the only, uh, problem that I've had. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, whenever I first got my Airedale, I had my bulldog and there's a couple of times they, they tied up, but that was mostly the, that was mostly my bulldog's fault. <laughs> and that's a good thing. These Airedales, they won't typically start a fight, but they're more than capable to take care of themselves. Yeah, that's what I've heard. They're tough as nails. Mm -hmm. Well, even back, even back in the, even back in the, uh, I guess late 1800s, um, there was a there's a few accounts of Airedales being used in the pit against mm -hmm. bull, against uh, pit bulls, and there was a case of one particularly good Airedale that they used in the fighting pit, and uh, he won three of the fights in a row against uh, against game dogs. Mm -hmm. Until and if he were a pit bull, he would have been classified as a champion fighting dog. Right. And uh, so it just kind of it just kind of shows that the abilities these dogs have. Yeah. Now I, I'm hoping to keep. To continue breeding away from from dog aggression, mm -hmm. just just because you know when you're out in the field, that's it's a headache. Yeah. But I haven't had I haven't had much problems thus far. Right. <clears throat> uh, how would you like to say a you know kind of a, a, a city dweller like me if wanted a, an Airedale, wanted to but lived in a townhouse or an apartment? How do you think uh, an Airedale would adjust? So, especially when you, the, like I said, the Airedales, they, there really hasn't been a strict breeding program as far as hunting. Not like your other dogs. Like how, there, there, there's no criteria for an Airedale to be registered as, as a as a hunting dog under these different um, different organizations like NAVDA and things like that. Right. So a lot a lot here in the states, they've been more geared towards breeding uh, breeding a, a family companion dog. So I know a lot of people that have Airedales in an apartment type environment or like a you know, like a city dwelling, and they do, they do fine, um, but these dogs are first and foremost bred to be hunters, so sometimes you could start to, they could start to develop, um, you know, different behavior problems, mm -hmm. barking and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I, ideally, they should be, uh, I, I wouldn't say you have to have them like on a, outside of city limits, but um, as long as you exercise them well, they, they they could pretty much thrive in in any environment. Right. Oh, the other thing I want to touch on too, and they're really good. A lot of reason they're really good um, as pets too is because of their coat. They have a hard wire coat, and with uh, minimal shedding, uh, my dogs don't shed at all. So even if you wanted to keep them inside the house, they don't. They will. I mean, just like any other dog, they'll chew and they'll bark, but um, they don't shed, and usually they're. The intelligence is a—it's a big plus because you can potty train them pretty easily, and and they, they make really good pets. So I think I wouldn't discourage somebody from getting an Airedale if they lived in a city environment. Mm -hmm. But um, 
they do best in a in a hunting home. Right. You kind of touched upon it there. Can you talk about their trainability and and when you uh, get a pup, what are some of the things that you like to do to prepare them to be uh, a successful hunter? So for me, right right away, right at about ten to twelve weeks old, I start with uh, just getting them used to having having fur in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll, I'll take them, even as pups, I'll take them squirrel hunting or I'll take them dove hunting, let them get used to having a, I, I start, I started doing retrieving work, even though I'm not much of a bird hunter, um, I start doing retrieving work as a, uh, while, while they're pups, mm-hmm. like young pups, tw- 10 to 12 weeks, like I said, and then once they start getting a little older, um, I do scent drags. And so I'll get a coon skin or a or a or a piece of a hog hog pelt, mm-hmm. and I'll wet it, and then just do fifty to a hundred yard drags, and just let them work it, mm-hmm. and just get them used to get them used to following the trail, and uh, get them used to using their nose. And then once they're about, I mean, the, the Airedale as a whole is usually a, a late bloomer type breed, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will tell you that it takes them up to two years to really turn on, a hundred percent. So I don't, you never want to put your dogs on game too early because they can kind of break their spirit, especially if they get chewed up by a big coon or something like that. Right. Um, but so my male dog, I started him on Kate. I would trap coons and just get him used to start, you know, building on that drive and wanting to have that fur in his mouth and not really letting him have contact, but just let him be around it and let him have that, let him build that, that want to get to the, to get to the animal, the coon or possum or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then um, eventually, so the first time, my first Airedale, my male, first time he was on a coon, it was kind of by accident. We just kind of came up on it while uh, while we're out for a hike. And um, yeah, I mean that coon, that coon really chewed him up, but he never took a back step. And at that point, he was nine months old, and I knew that he was ready to go from there. So then I just, you know, tra- tra- a lot of people don't like to talk about training methods, but I'll be I'll be completely transparent. Mm-hmm. So when I started for coon hunting, you get a caged coon, you pour water on them, and you turn them loose. Mm-hmm. You give them you give them about a five minute head start, and then this dog is used to following scent drags and up to this point. So they'll they'll track the coon down, and uh, they'll either tree it or catch it on the ground, and that kind of gets them used to that kind of gets them geared towards hunting coons. And then when it comes to hog hunting, a lot of times you'll want to put them in the bay pen. Mm-hmm. And uh, see how they react to their first hog at about, you know, between 9, 10 to 14 months old. And uh, both my dogs after, I I don't know if it's just because I had them out in the field since they were pups. And uh, just building building on that drive. But both of them caught the first pig they saw right on. And uh, it's just been, and they've just been doing that ever since. But uh, mainly the main thing for me is because the Airedale, since be, because of their uh, hound heritage they uh they use their nose a lot and it's good to uh it's good to really start developing their their tracking and sending abilities at an early age right so for young dogs that's i i start with the scent drags and the in the caged the 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 trapped animals first just to kind of get them used to seeing and smelling and and knowing what they're going after and then right after right at after about a year they're they i start taking them on hunts and They've done they've done really really well so far. Awesome. 
can you uh, can you talk about what your uh, your kennel setup looked like and, and what's the reasoning behind that? So right now, we're actually in between. Like, I'm not at the uh, we're not at a property that we're going to be at forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I we only just I, I just got married back in I'm going on my fourth year anniversary. Okay. And uh, the reason it took me this long to uh, to to actually get these Airedales too, I, from the time that I started researching and looking for Airedales actively. To the point where I actually got one, it was a it was a span of eight years. It took me to actually get my hands on my first one, just because I wanted to do everything right. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to go through a whole lot of dogs. I wanted to get one from proven working working lines, and um, mm-hmm. so so now as far as my married life and things like that, we're just now getting everything together. So we we're living city limits right now. So I don't have so much of a kennel set up. I just have a I have them in the yard partition. Mm-hmm partition fence mm-hmm. and um because i have airedales and stag hounds right now okay. so i have them separated and so they're just kind of like a, a backyard they're in the backyard right now mm-hmm. i'm looking to move into a new property at the first of next year and uh, then i'll build up the kennels but yeah they, they do great in the backyard never had a they're not barkers from from the beginning if they start barking i'm not gonna because i live in the city limits i you know i couldn't have a dog that's going to be just yelling his head off all night so i really try to correct that and correct any kind of digging mm-hmm. and uh like i said the intelligence plays a key part in, in their training because they they get it after a while mm-hmm. and uh they're just they're good so yeah as far as kennels i just have i just have them in partition fences and things like that but soon within the next year i'll i'll be able to i have an idea of how i want my kennels to be set up and i'll have it done that way right um can you talk about uh, kind of your morning and evening routine with the dogs, and, and does your wife get involved or any other family? Yeah, well, here I live in the, in the city of Lubbock, Texas, so I don't really. All my family are country folk back in back in Kermit, so they have there's a lot of space to to do things with the dogs. So here I live in the city, and um, so basically a morning routine would be just going out, feeding the dogs, loving on them, and then going to work. And as soon as I come home from work, I feed them. Most of the year, I feed them once a day, so I'll feed them a, a good, a good hearty meal in the morning, and then when I get home from work, I'll take them out and just let them get their exercise in, and and then at night we'll go and do the uh, the coon hunting. So, and when it's you know fur bear season like how it is now, mm-hmm. um, I try to be out at least four nights a week with the dogs and letting them put in that work and just having them improve. So yeah, daily routines pretty pretty much the same every day. Just feed them in the mornings, look after them, make sure there's they don't have birds or anything caught in their fur make sure they have they don't have any cuts or anything that i may have missed and and uh, just loving on them if, if your dog loves you they're gonna they're gonna be that much better in the field because they the, the, you know the obedience and and their want to uh, to do what you want them to do is it's a big plus so i make it a i make it a big point to to put my hands on the dogs every morning and just love on them and and um, so that's pretty much my daily routine. Can you can you talk about maybe some? Do you do some basic obedience just to? Um, yeah, I, I start with just your just your typical sit, stay, mm-hmm. lay down. Um, stay is a big one, mm-hmm. just because when you're out, sometimes when you're on your way to your hunting spot, there will be thing, there will be things like. Uh, Making them ride in the back of the truck and and having them stay without without bailing out of the back of the truck and that's that's like my 
that's what I do the most when it comes to obedience. They know to just stay on the on, in the bed of the truck or in the trailer in the flatbed until I tell them to go. So, um, just basic obedience stuff when it comes to that. It's n- nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Right. <clears throat> and no, <clears throat> is there any kind of a, a special equipment you use on, on these hunts, like? Um, so with, with the coon hunting for for the longest time, the, the spots that I had access to were were limited acreage. Mm-hmm. It wasn't I, I didn't have these big you know two hundred acre woods to hunt coons in mm-hmm. to, to start with. So I didn't have to uh, I, I I didn't run um, I didn't run uh, tracking collars on them at at the beginning. And even the spots where we go pig hunting, they usually I I don't have a problem with them just getting completely lost, but. Recently, I started, uh, you know, running cut. I mean, running cut collars and and um, tr- and uh, tracking collars on them just just to be safe. And then the more the more areas that we get to hunt, especially these bigger these bigger uh, sections of land where there, where there's pigs, you definitely want to run uh, cut collars on them mm-hmm. and uh, tracking collars. And with the pigs, I, I've run vests on them before, but it just kind of Airedales since they're such, since they're finders and holders. Mm-hmm. They do so much running that, to me, I, I found it just kind of ideal to, to run them almost like an Australian-style type vest with a with a four-inch cut collar mm-hmm. with a chest plate attached to it. It doesn't it doesn't uh doesn't immobilize them at all. They're able to run freely, but also it has a protection. Right. And since they're not so much bay dog, they're not bay dogs. Um, very rarely will they get cut up on the on the back half of their of their body. Usually, they'll, if they're caught right on the ear, ninety percent of your cuts are going to be from the chest up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's so that's the cut type of gear that I run on them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't slow them down, but it keeps them pretty well protected. Right. And does your uh, does your does your wife get involved with the dogs, or is it just uh, your hobby? Oh. She's a she's a, she's a dog person through and through. She's not so much of a hunter. She wasn't raised that way. So most of the time when I'm going on these hunts, it's you know it's either solo or with or with some buddies. But as far as uh, you know, vet, I mean you know vet visits and feeding and things like that, she's she's all hands on with the dogs and she's uh, she loves them. That's awesome. And yeah, it's it's been really good and easy um, with these dogs so far. I've had so many headaches in the past with all the different breeds that I've been around and. And these Airedales have just been a, uh, man, they've been such a breath of fresh air. They do exactly what I want them to do. Of course, there's always headaches and training, and, and, you know, sometimes they don't do exactly what you want them to do in hunts. Right. But they're still young, and they're improving. And I think with the, especially with the two main Airedales that I have right now, um, I think even just the dogs that they're going to produce are going to be superb. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I have access to a whole lot of other I mean, not a whole lot, but I have access to other studs and dams that I could do some outcrossing with that I that fit the bill too. When it comes to the type of hunting that I do, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think, like I'm saying, give me just a few generations, give me a few years, and I think even in that short of time, I'll have an Airedale that's that that does it all pretty well. Right. So I, I recently. It was kind of up in the air. Like I said, I've always had that vision of, of having my own line of dogs that I could be proud of. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still only a young man, so I hope, so hopefully for the next 45 years or so, I can, or even longer than that, I can keep uh, hunting with dogs. And you always want to have a good dog. And the uh, surefire way to, to have a dog that's up to your standards is to breed them yourself. 
So uh, I've always had this vision of, of having my own line of dogs. And so this year I decided to go ahead and, and, and start a kennel and start breeding. And hopefully um, I'm thinking the middle of, of 2020 that I'll have my first pups on the ground. And, um, there's The problem is going to be figuring out who to place them with because there's so many people that have seen the dogs on Instagram and seen them. And uh, who I've been in touch with, everybody wants uh, a dog that's going to be like mine. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that I know, so placing them is going to be no problem. It's just going to be choosing who they go to is going to be the tough part. Yeah. So um, I'm not too worried about about placing them or anything. Yeah. So it, it, it's exciting stuff. I, I, I'm, I was, like I said, I've always been geared towards wanting to produce my own dogs. And the fact that it's starting to, it's becoming a reality with two dogs that I really that I can really put my trust in to be good hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting stuff. I got a big, I got, I got a vision and a, and a big plans for, for my upcoming dogs. Awesome. <clears throat> so can you talk about your, uh, your uh, uh, stag hounds? What, what do you use them for? And, and yeah, so the stags, I, I've just, only, I, I, have, I have zero experience with them, but um, like I said, a lot of the, everything here in, in our area is really fast mm-hmm. so anything from jackrabbits to fox to coyote everything is uh they'll outrun most dogs but one but so these staghounds where they're useful and nothing's gonna outrun them especially in my area and it's it's a lot of flat even the wooded areas are they're still it's not too thick so uh, i got I, saw, I got really big into the staghounds and the different sighthound breeds just because of their usefulness mm-hmm. and uh so i'm only i'm only a beginner when it comes to that i've only i got my i've got a my first stag that i got i got him back in may and uh no actually i got him in july and he's uh he's part staghound and half uh race uh a track dog greyhound so he's a gray stag and uh the prey drive and athleticism and in, in, in him so far he's only six months old He's already man. He's he's blowing me away, and I'm excited to run him with the Airedales. And I think, and then I, got, I recently got another another staghound female, and she's only three months old. But hopefully, this time next year, or this time in a couple of years, um, I'll have a pretty unstoppable team them paired with the Airedales. Um, but they're I'm only just beginning with the staghounds, and hopefully, over these next few years, I can have some good experiences. And, we can talk about that maybe in the years to come <laughs> yeah definitely I, I you know I think both those combos are great and I um I've become a huge fan of the um uh stag greyhound bulls that, that you see from Australia and, mm-hmm. and some in England I love the the bull influence with those sighthounds. It's just to me they're amazing combinations. Oh man, I I've gone down the rabbit hole when it comes to all the sighthounds and the lurcher type dogs and the crosses and man, I even I had to I had to you know I had to grab the reins for a little bit because already my crazy mind I was already thinking about stag Airedale crosses and things like that. But first, before I do, I, I will eventually cross some sighthounds to Airedales and have some good, mm-hmm. you know, terrier lurchers. But first things first, I got to uh, I got to develop the type of Airedale that I that I think is ideal. Yeah. So maybe maybe a few years down the line, I can I'll, I'll do crosses like that. But yeah, just like you, man, I'm I'm big into the sighthound crosses and yeah. and the different breeds of them. Yeah, definitely. I think they so. they just add 
a, a lot of health to some of the to the harder dogs that maybe not as healthy like the bulldog. Oh yeah, yeah. They, you know, they add the speed, the health, yeah. and even just that that prey drives. Yeah. It's, man, it's it's incredible. Absolutely. So I'm having a, I'm having a really good time with these stag hounds too. Awesome. <laughs> just training them up a little different than what I would the air dogs because they're not so much of a tracking dog. No. But man. And, and like I said, in my area where it's mostly flat, they're going to be a, they're going to be a really useful useful dog to have in the back. Yep. yep. So can you talk about some of your uh, uh, favorite breeds that you never owned but you you you're, you're interested in? Yeah. So I think at this point right now, I'm uh, I'm really into all the versatile type breeds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always, my brother-in-law and sister, they, they recently got a German Shorthair Pointer. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really given them too much thought before, but the more research I've done on them and more, you know, more the the working videos and, and experiences that I've seen from the from the German Shorthair Pointer and pointers like the uh, the Drahorn, the, the German Wirehair Pointer, mm-hmm. they, they really caught my eye and I, I would, they're one of my favorites that I haven't owned yet. Um and the same thing, uh, like uh, the the bull lurchers is is one thing I'm also really interested in. Um, some of the smaller terriers too, I, I like. I, I, at some point, I want to own a Patterdale and a, and a Yak Terrier. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I'm just, uh, we can go down the rabbit hole on breeds that I would like to have. Yeah. I've actually, you know, recently, I've not recently. It's actually been a few years now. I've always wanted to try a good working Sharpay. Just because they could be used more, they could be used similar to like a, a bulldog type mm-hmm. when it comes to catching. And but uh, I don't know, I I might be lost when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, yeah. So mainly right now, I would say the dogs that I'm most most interested in is the different types of sight hounds and the different types of versatile dogs. Mm-hmm. And if I had to pick one that I would own right away, it would probably be a good uh, a good wire hair pointer. I think I'm really interested in those. The bull Arab is, is It's almost like What the bull Arabs do They have the speed They have the nose And they have the The, the grit and stain power The bull Arab in Australia Is almost kind of like How I'm Wanting to gear my air dose towards To, to kind of Fit the same purpose Because a bull Arab in, in a lot of ways Is Their abilities as a pig hunter As a As a hog dog um, Reflect how I want my air dose To end up and, and how they are already Pretty much So I'm really interested in those But Maybe one day I, we can get one imported in and I mean, give, give it a try. But yeah, I'm interested. I, I really like the bull Arab too. And have you heard of the Hydra Terrier? Oh yeah, yeah. Is it? It's is it? Well, I, is it the one that's got the Airedale and a bull yeah. terrier and Jack Terrier in them? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually know a couple people here in the states that have that have a similar type dog, and man, they're they're on fire too. They. They're really good on fur hunting, and yeah. I haven't really seen them so much on boar hunting. But I know back in Germany, where they're where they're being developed, they're being used on that. So that, that, that's pretty interesting too. So once I get set up on property, I'm, we're, like I said, we're planning on moving outside of the outside of the city limits mm-hmm. come next year. And uh, I think once I get set on a property and have the kennels built and everything, I'll start looking more towards a towards like a protect like a home guardian. Yeah. And then so I'm you know. With my past with uh, German Shepherds, I've kind of 
I kind of feel like I've already I've lived a whole lifetime with German Shepherds almost. That's how I kind of feel that way. So I'm looking more towards maybe like a band dog type or a, a, a Mastiff type for, for home guardians. So I haven't even gone down really looking too much into that. But once it's time to get a good home guardian, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be really interested in those types of breeds too. Yeah. Like I said, the, the intelligence is a big factor. Uh, like I said, they, uh, you can pretty much train them to do anything. And yeah. I think especially if you're breeding more towards that protective instinct and that, you know, bringing them up doing bite work, things like that, I'm sure they'd excel. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, never know, maybe in the future I'll, that's something I would want to get more into. But like I said, right now I'm just a, I'm a crazy hunter and I'm more geared towards the hunting. Um, like I said, first I want to get them and get the Airedales to where I want them to be. Right. But but so as far as uh as crossing them for 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 boar hunting i think here in the state of texas we have more um we have a higher feral hog population than anywhere else in the states right and uh you know funny enough the area i live in is actually the part of texas that has the least of them <laughs> they're all you know more towards the east and southern part of the state yes yeah. mm-hmm. but um there's still there's still a good number here so i think for as far as boar hunting for crosses that i would like to do i think if i can get a dog that's three-quarter airedale and maybe a quarter uh Maybe a quarter stag with some bull in there. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a real useful dog. Add a little more speed and a little, uh, maybe a little bit more of a of a, of a holding power. Because when, when it comes to a dog that's going to catch a hog, you really want that that drive and that gameness right. and that desire just to keep that pig pinned down. And uh, I know a lot in a lot of the northern states where they're doing bear hunting with dogs and, and lion hunting. You want a tough, gritty Airedale mm-hmm. that they that they add with their hounds, but you don't want one. To, to act as a bulldog type of thing, because if you have a if you have a dog that's going to close in on a bear or a, or a lion, you know, I mean, you're going to end up with a severely injured or dead dog. But for my area, where there's no there's no bears or lions, I think uh, breeding them harder for these pigs is is, is the the route I want to go. So adding in, you know, maybe a type of bull blood cross, mm-hmm. um, I think that'd be you'd really make some good hog do- hog dogs that way. Yeah. So yeah, I'm interested in that. Uh, like I'm really. I guess out of all the bull breeds, the one that I've never owned and I've never even really been around that I'm really interested in is the bull terrier. Yeah. And um, so, you know, and I know the Airedales back in their ancestry, they have the bull terrier in them already. So I think adding a little bit more as far as uh, as breeding them for hog dogs, I think that'd be, I think that'd be interesting to see. I think, I think it'd be a, a good cross. Like I said, and another thing I wanted to say, so like I said, my vision for the Airedales is to, to have a larger leggier uh harder type airedale mm-hmm. but maybe but i know there's a lot of people breeding maybe not more towards the size and the light and the and the legginess uh-huh. they're more towards the, you know having them run in the woods and be a more of a draw dog mm-hmm. hunting alongside other smaller terriers and that's fine too i think um you don't know, like the old saying the, the perfect dog is your perfect dog right so uh, that's what I'm, I'm breeding the dogs that I feel like are ideal, but in no way I don't want to come across saying that I'm trying to improve on, on anybody else's breeding. I'm just trying to get them strictly to where I think they'll work great for me and for the vast majority of hunters they'd work good for too. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, so like uh, j- even just as, here's an example of the versatility of, of, of the Airedale and my dogs in particular. We were out last February on a, on a quail hunt and like I said, my dogs aren't too much bird dogs, but they'll find they'll they'll find and retrieve a a, a shot bird. So we're out. I was it was me with my dad and a, a buddy of mine. So we we're out hunting, and we uh, ended up getting kind of late on us. So the area that we we're hunting it was a uh, it was a 
big, more of a flat, a flatland, uh, grassy area, mm -hmm. but it borders right on this, uh, right on the more thicker mesquite brush. Mm -hmm. So as we're out there hunting, so in the same day that he was uh, retrieving quail, we ended up having a run-in with a big boar javelina. And um, uh, you know what javelina is, right? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's so the, most hog hunters won't even step foot in javelina country just because if you run into a mob of pigs. They're all gonna run, even if even if one gets caught. For the most part, the pigs are just gonna just gonna run and leave it behind. Mm -hmm. Now, if you run into a if you run into a pack of javelinas and your dogs get caught on one, a lot of the times all of the javelinas are gonna come back and, and mess your dog up. Mm -hmm. So you so I, I try for the most part to stay clear of them, but in this instance, it was a kind of a lone boar, and uh, he just he just you know ran at my dogs. And, uh, you know, he just went on the defensive, and of course my dog's a pig dog, so he went at him, and we had a heavily a dog tussle. And uh, so by the time we got there, we couldn't really get in the middle of it, because it was just kind of like a, like a, it was like a tornado, just right. fur and going around. So after about maybe 30 seconds, the Airedale, he, my, my dog, he had the uh, throat hold already, and he started choking that pig out. And, Man, he he killed that pig right th right then and there. Wow! And it was uh it was really crazy. So it's like you know, it went from hunting birds in the morning to killing a javelina in the evening. Wow! <laughs> and uh, which was pretty cool because even a javelina will attack you if if you get close enough to them or yeah. if they decide that you're a threat. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So in, in a way, you almost have a protection dog out in the field too because nothing's gonna you're not gonna get charged by a boar, especially if you have if you have your airedales around. Mm -hmm. So that that was pretty cool. Right. So when it comes to feeding and nutrition, and uh, the the way I, I I bring my dogs up, it's uh that's probably one of my favorite things to do because I I love making sure I start from puppies. So you know people get creative when it comes to feeding their pups, and uh, there's so many different things that you can feed them. But for me, what's worked best for me, and like especially with our last German Shepherd died mm -hmm. um, this past April, and he died at almost 15. He was almost 15. And uh, I started him off the same way I start off every other dog, and he's never been to the vet, never had any problems. And all my dogs that I've had, have, I've never, they've never had any type of, of problems when it comes to, you know, he different health. And I think a lot of it is because I take special, you t you, I mean, you have to take special, pay special attention to your nutrition from when they're puppies all the way up to when they're adult working dogs and even past that. So with pups, I start them off with a Purina puppy chow. Mm-hmm. With uh, along with either with a uh, raw ground beef or ground venison if, if I've got it, and um, and also I, I do a, a milk replacer. Okay. Which you know it's a you know it's like a multi-species um, milk replacer. Okay. So I have them on I have them on the milk. I have them on the the the, the raw ground beef or deer meat, uh -huh. along with uh, with smaller amounts of puppy chow. Uh -huh. And as they get older, after about seven months, I come and give them the milk, and I keep them on puppy chow for the first year of their life. Uh -huh. And um, they they they're really able to grow to their full potential, and their genetics really come out. And they they just come out beautifully if you. With, with that combo that I do, and also, I mean, of course, also throw in raw eggs and mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But and that's the thing too. A lot of people think the more expensive the dog food is going to be, that the better. And that's not always the case. Uh, for me, from as far back as I've had dogs, I've always stuck with Purina. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, you know, I've done a lot of uh, research on Purina. I, I would uh, I would encourage anybody who has a, maybe a 
who has maybe a bad, um, I guess a bad taste in their mouth or a bad review mm-hmm. of these more popular popular dog dog food brands like Purina that are not grain free. They have cornmeal in them. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would uh, urge them to do more research on it because if you look back, even back to when. Um, the, the early 19th century, I mean, the early 1900s, when the, so you're looking, you couldn't just go to the store back in those days and just get a big 50 pound bag of dog food. Back then, the, the, the best dog food of choice was the, where they had, uh, they got whatever food they, whatever meat they could get a hold of, whether it was pork or deer or a coon, they would boil it down in a big cauldron or a big pot. Once it was boiled down to where the meat fell off the bones, they pulled the bones out and added cornmeal to it until it was like a uh, like a paste-like consistency. So in that mix, you have your cornmeal, which is a uh, you know it's it's good energy. It's um it's carbohydrates for your dogs, and along with the uh, with the the fat and the bone broth that comes from the and the bone marrow that comes from the bones that were also boiled in there, mm-hmm. and with your meat and your protein, you mix it all up. And there's old coonhound books that I've read and um, most of them will tell you that that's that's their dogs run best on that type of food mm-hmm. and when you really look at the ingredients of these Purina dog foods and I've tried everything from down from the, the lowest quality Purina food which would be Alpo all the way up to Purina Pro Plan and every single one of them have my dogs have done really really good on them and if you look at the ingredients it's very much the same as the the original recipe they got it's got the fat in it it's got the cornmeal in it and it's got the the meat in it and along with calcium and all the other minerals and so if i mix the i i don't feed too much of the of dry dog food especially during the fall and winter months mm-hmm. when we're out we're getting coons every night or you know we get a few deer a year and a lot of the pigs i feed the pig meat raw mm-hmm. i know a lot of people are kind of wary of that because of the different you know a lot of boar meats will, a lot of uh, pig meat will carry that trichinosis mm-hmm. um, worm the parasite but um, most of the time your dog's going to get that anyway and it doesn't bother them at all so I mostly with my grown dogs I feed a mix of Purina dog food and uh, and, and raw raw meat wild game mm-hmm. and so what, deer season just opened up here and it's going to be going on through January I can get three white tail and one mule deer and with uh, that, that'd be plenty with the bones and the meat and everything. Uh, the whole, the whole animal gets used for the dogs and and me. So, I, and along with the coon and and pig meat, so I'm able to have a uh, fresh raw meat um, year round. So I mix that with the with the dog food, and they do really well. And I've had zero problems. I've had zero vet vet checkups or anything like that. So what would you say to somebody like me who, like, like again, is a city dweller and and doesn't is not an avid hunter? Would you would you say ground beef with the the Purina would be a, a, an okay choice? Yeah. So um, actually, there's a there's a spokesperson for Purina Dog Food. He did a podcast. Um, it's kind of man. It's kind of uh, slipping my mind where where what podcast it was on uh-huh. but he was a representative and talked about everything that goes into the dog food uh-huh. and really purina dog food is is meant to be a, a food that you can feed your dogs a hundred percent of mm-hmm. you know what i mean like they, they try to get the nutrition and the right amount of, of fat with protein and carbohydrates to where you don't necessarily need to add in too much raw if you're like for people that are silly city dwellers mm-hmm. so i think a, a good purina dog food of course it's going to take them a, maybe a couple weeks to to get used to the new food right but i think um 
almost all dogs will do well on it. Every dog I've had and every dog in here my family's had that feeds Purina really, uh, they, they have very minimal problems and the dogs do great on it. Overfeeding is, is, is probably the main, the biggest, uh, the biggest bad thing that you can do for your dogs, I guess. Um, overfeed. If you overfeed a kibble, if you're feeding a, your dog who's uh, just in the back or is a it's a family dog at home, if you're feeding it two or three times a day, that's whenever you'll start to see the the weight problems and you know joint problems, things like that. But if you keep them, if you keep them laying, you keep them fed maybe once a day if they're not working, um, you won't, you won't have any problems. Mm-hmm. You know, especially on on the weeks and months that I know that the dogs aren't, they're not going to be out hunting. Because I mean, as as much as as hardy as they are and as much of of a heat tolerant dog that they are you really don't want to run your dogs on those 100 degree days or even even in the 90s so i don't really i don't usually go out and, and run them like that um so during the warmer months i most of the time only feed uh, once a day mm-hmm. and i'll either feed all raw on the day or all uh, kibble on the day mm-hmm. um during the hunt during the colder months i'll feed twice a day not not as big of not as big as portions but i'll feed uh two smaller portions of food once in the morning and then once after we're done hunting or in the evening mm-hmm. if we don't hunt that day and um i've had zero problems and they, they do great the teeth especially their teeth their gums everything that you look at on a dog if they're being fed a good mix of raw and kibble mm-hmm. it's really easy to manage their weight and keep them in good shape and um for you know about half the year i uh i run marathons and do all the different spartan races and things like that so i have my dogs even during the warmer months in the mornings and the evenings they're they're they usually stay pretty active because they're they're out running with me training for these marathons and stuff like that so i just a lot of it too i eyeball if they're looking a little thin you know you give them a little more and then if they seem like they're getting a little fat then you know you kind of cut back a little bit but you know as far as nutrition it's my it's one of my favorite things that like associated with dogs because i love i love knowing and making sure that my dogs are well fed and they're getting their proper nutrition and i mean it might sound weird but i just like i just sit there and like watching the dogs eat right <laughs> every morning i feed the dogs i sit there and watch them until they're done and man, i don't know it just dogs are such a huge part of my life and especially those i have such a passion for that they just i'd be having the worst day and come home and mess with the dogs or take them out and see them run in the, in the woods and out in the field and and just brightens up your day as far as like um as feeding a 100 percent raw yeah especially if you have a whole stable of dogs uh-huh. it's not really practical to like in my case anyway everybody's different you know but in my case feeding them 100 percent raw you're going to be going through a lot of meat and you're going to eat up your whole freezer before too long and not only that but so the dog if you get the if you get a good brand of dog food it's going to have everything they need in it already mm-hmm. and then so i just kind of i mix i mix between the two but there will be there'll be long periods where i'm feeding strictly raw too um when I get a deer, I, I make sure to save as much as the uh, as much of the organs as I can. Because mm. you never want to feed your dogs organ meat on a daily basis. It's, it's uh, you can start running into some different you know problems that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I I make sure they get organ meat and make sure they they get raw every week. Mm-hmm. And a, and just to supplement along with the with your regular dog food. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm on Purina um, Purina One mixed with uh with a lot of the deer meat that i have left over that i you know some of the cuts and that's the thing too when you have dogs a lot of times when you get deer meat you want to keep as much of it for yourself as you can 
but at the same time it's like you know you can go to the store and, and you, you can go to a restaurant and get a steak you can go to the store and eat meat mm-hmm. a lot of it I try to give I try to give a lot of it to the dogs because you know what I mean it's it's, a, it's extremely high quality meat mm-hmm. and uh that's your main hobby you, you want to make sure your dogs have the best you know right so I, I keep the best cuts for myself but they get the rest <laughs> right right no doubt and the same thing with the, the same thing with the boar meat they I was kind of I was kind of iffy on it at first but seeing the way they that they've done they haven't gotten any parasites I keep them warmed regularly that's that's the main thing you keep them you keep them fed good and warmed de- dewormed regularly and you'll have a you'll have a really you'll have a healthy dog mm-hmm. so and then I feed them coons um, with the coon meat I guess I guess you could feed it raw but me personally I just bake them I put them in a baking pan with a little bit of water and uh, I just bake them for about two hours and the dogs man they go crazy for it the coon meat I mean when it get, when it comes out of the oven that coon meat smells like pot roast <laughs> and it's it's re- they're really fatty especially the ones that I get from these pecan orchards uh-huh. they have that thick layer of white fat and it just makes a good broth and um, with the with the good meat and they love that mm-hmm. and of course rabbits I'll go and I'll go out in the afternoon and shoot you know seven to ten jackrabbits pull the guts out and just feed them whole like that as long as, and as long as it's during the winter where they don't I mean, where they don't have fleas and and you make sure they're not they don't have worms or anything like that that's a really good mm-hmm. dog food too because they eat the fur they eat the bones and uh, they eat the, the skull and the brains and everything and I just I feed my dogs everything everything we hunt the dogs get to eat so right. yeah I tell everybody else, I, I have a deal with my dogs they catch it I'll let them eat it <laughs> there you go no it's gonna go over well yeah I appreciate it okay awesome thanks Sean if, uh, you got my number now and you got, I got you on Instagram if you ever need to get a hold of me or whatever yep. just let me know sounds good man thank you very much yes sir I'll, I'll talk to you soon okay mm-hmm. thank you